the Recovery Revolution will be podcast on the Since Right Now Addiction Recovery Network. This is the Unruffled Podcast, Episode 18. This is a podcast about recovery through creativity. We live an intentional life. We thrive. I am Sandra Primo. And I'm Tammy Salas. And we are The Unruffled. Well, hello, Sandra. Good morning, Tammy. How are you? Good. Good. I'm, glad. I'm always looking forward to getting up out of bed and talking to you. Oh, well, you, yeah, you, that's really an accomplishment because you are two hours ahead of me. So you really have to, I'm behind you. I mean, behind me (laughs) is what I meant to say. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was so worried. I wasn't going to wake up on time today for our chat with, um, with Aaron that I, you know, woke up at five in the morning going, okay, I just didn't want to be late. <laughs> right. Cause you got to get up and like, I, cause I have to, I'm not ready to speak to anyone. Although, uh, because it's summer, my Max, my son will sleep, but my daughter gets up, you know, with any noise going on in the house, she's up. She's ready to go. The reason, I mean, she was <laughs> like this during the school year but this summer she's like mom's up I'm up and she wants to immediately assault me with her words (laughs) but it feels like (laughs) you mean that in the most loving way I know but yes I mean that's what it really feels like it's so stupid to even say that but seriously that's what it feels like before I've had a minute, you know, like I just need a minute before there are any words exchanged, mm-hmm. but that's just not how it's, that's not how it's going this summer. So anyway, I commend you for um, <laughs> these early morning recordings because it's early for you to jump on a mic and start talking. Yeah. I was thinking about like just our summer routine that we've been doing and it's, it's, um, it's been a challenge to do a weekly podcast, like not, not, not doable, but just with these pockets of time we're finding and making it work for our schedules. And, um, you know, we didn't plan any of this out in terms of like what, you know, what the summer schedule is going to be like. So I think I I mentioned to you, I wouldn't have done it if we would have gone this far ahead. I probably would have said, no, we got to start in September. (laughs) Yeah. But we're, but we're making it work. And I think that is kind of what we're talking about on the podcast about finding the time for creativity. And it does help, um, you know, it does aid in my recovery to learn these new stories or to talk about these things that we're talking about. And so, yeah, I appreciate it. I appreciate you carving out the time because I know you have a lot going on on your end and I've had some, a few things going on on mine. So I appreciate that we're making time for this. Yeah. And then it feels get really good once we've done it, right? I it does. Like <laughs> high-fiving you. Yeah. No, it does. And once I get everything off to Steve, I'm like, I'm out. Okay. We did it. He's going to do the magic. <laughs> Me and Sandra just giggled a lot and talked. And now he's going to make it all into a podcast. <laughs> so yeah, great for that. Um, so let's just jump into it today. Yeah, um, yeah. We have a really wonderful guest on the show today named Erin Shaw Street. And she is an award-winning writer, 
an editor, uh, a content strategist, and she's based in Birmingham, Alabama. Um, her nearly 20-year career has taken her to just about every corner of the media except broadcast, um, and she's mentioned that her mother always said she would be the next Jane Pauley. <laughs> and she began her career as a newspaper reporter, uh, where she learned the fundamentals of old-school journalism. And the first 10 years of her career, we learned, um, were spent covering health and wellness, including serving as director of community affairs for the University of Alabama at Birmingham. Um, I'm sorry, I didn't say that right. Um, <laughs> Director of Community Affairs of the, for the University of Alabama at Birmingham Comprehensive Cancer Center. That's a cancer long, center. That's a right, long, yeah. <laughs> sorry, sorry. That's a long Anna. title. <laughs> <laughs> that is a long, her business card must have been huge or like a wraparound or something. Erin um, spent the next 10 years traveling the South to tell stories of an evolving region. And as deputy editor of Southern Living Magazine, she managed travel and culture content, which is, sounds like an awesome job. Yeah, and that was one. She, she launched the Daily South, which was the brand's blog, and she worked with writers and creatives to tell compelling stories. She then spent two years working for a creative agency, and then life really began. Mm-hmm. She had a very, very impressive career. <clears throat> um, and Erin's uh, sobriety date is March 12th, 2016, which she'll tell you all about that. But I was there for that day and um, physically there. And uh, her passion is to draw from her experience in media and as a woman in recovery to challenge the accepted uh, cultural and media narrative around alcohol, which she does really, really well. We'll link um, all of her her blog and she publishes on medium and for uh, other online magazines as well. Um, she's passionate that there are many paths to recovery and is committed to bringing cutting edge recovery resources to women everywhere, especially in the South merging her deep knowledge of Southern culture and personal experience. She is working on several new initiatives to empower sober Southerners and is working on a book. Um, she works as a freelance writer and editor in the lifestyle, travel, and wellness space. She publishes on her own site, which I just mentioned, and brings editorial guidance to businesses and brands. She's an awesome, awesome lady. She is incredible, and I loved her energy. And I just, I hope, I hope that our listeners can really, um, you know, find something in her story that they resonate with. And I think they will. She's just, a, she's just a beautiful example of recovery. Yep, yep, she makes sobriety look good. Yeah, so well, on to the show. Good morning, you guys. Good morning. Hey, Sandra. How are you guys this morning? I'm good. I just got home from a big trip, and I'm super excited to start the day talking to Erin today. I know. Today we are talking to Erin Shaw. Do you go by, do you have three names? Are you a three-named um, I'm a three name. I, I I make it a little bit challenging. People are, are like, you, are you Shaw? Are you Street? Are you Street Shaw? What's your jam? I just try to keep people on their toes. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, Shaw's my maiden name. Um, so I do Aaron Shaw Street. That's my byline. ESS. Aaron Shaw Street. Okay. Yep. No hyphen. Got it. Got it. Well, Aaron, Aaron and I met uh, because we were both in a secret Facebook group together but I have to say that I feel hard for you because you're from Alabama and I have a 
I have a special place in my heart for the Alabamians. Is that how you would say? Yeah, that's us. We are Alabamians, Rural Tide or War Eagle, depending mm-hmm. on your affiliation. Yeah, I think uh, there was a lot of Roll Tide going on <laughs> in my Alabama heritage. Uh, yeah, I'm actually married to a, uh, a professor at Alabama. So, um, and in Ooh. fact, our wedding vows, um, I promised to go to at least one Alabama game a year. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's the real deal. It's the deal. It I love is it. the real deal. I mean, no kidding. I remember being a kid and, and being in Alabama, you know, a couple of times a year and often that would it would be around Christmas and yeah if there was a game on the kids were to be seen and not heard preferably not seen nor heard <laughs> that was serious it business it's really serious so yeah and in a couple of weeks here when fall starts and in fact even now and you know we're recording this at the end of July I mean one of the the first things you'll hear people when they say oh hey how you doing I'll say you know, X number X number of days till uh, till football season begins. So <laughs> right. culturally, we have some very interesting. And I, I'm actually not originally from Alabama, I'm from Florida. So when I showed up in the Deep South, it was kind of like what? Um, but yeah, we have some um, some interesting cultural traditions in in this particular part of the South and in the South in general. So yeah, you you know what it's like. I do. I I really do. Have you ever been to Alabama, Tammy? No, no, I've never been to the South at all. No, I know. And I, and I just want some more pie. I want some <laughs> quilting. I want, I, I, I feel a need to go. Well, listen, you have an open invitation to come to Birmingham. We have an incredible community here, really creative com- community, amazing food scene. Um, you know, I promise I don't work for the city of Birmingham, but it's such an interesting, um, <laughs> I feel a road trip. But yeah, you, but but there's so there's sort of this explosion of creativity that's happening across the South, and you know Sandra, you know, speaks of what's happening obviously in um, in Texas, and you know Austin's such a special place for that, and you know Texas is kind of a world unto its own as well. But yeah, I kind of geek out when I talk about um, the South and creativity because um, there's a whole lot going on here. So yeah, the doors open, and we will find some pie and barbecue for you. Come on down. Okay. Oh yeah, baby. I feel a road trip podcast coming on, Sandra. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to make a note of that. <laughs> Thank you, Erin. So Erin, why don't you tell us a little bit about, um, you know, how you came to the decision to live a life without alcohol. And I have a feeling, I mean, I could even say something about your story, but I'm going to let you tell it at least as much as you want to tell. Yeah. I mean, for your listener, Sandra plays a really, um, really special pivotal role in my recovery. And I'm kind of getting a little teary even when I think about it. Um, and I've been reflecting on it as I've prepared to, to speak with y'all, but, um, I, I'll share what that is in, in a moment. Um, well, I'll say first and foremost, um, Sandra helped save my life on my, uh, last God willing day one. And I'll share about that in a oh. moment. So oh, you're gonna make so, me cry. I'm already tearing up too, Aaron. So and, and this is, you know, spoiler alert, this is the power of recovery because my last day one was, um, 16 months ago and she was there. So actually mm-hmm. I'll just share that. And then I'll tell you how I came to the decision. Um, okay. She was there on, again, God willing, my last day one um, on March 12th of 2016. It was not my, um, not the first time I had a day one. 
um, I had been trying to get sober for a number of years. And, um, you know, I came to the decision to, to get um, sober over, uh, like a lot of people, um, many, many years. And, and I fought it for many years. Not uncommon, of course. I think the seeds were planted um, as I read um, writers like Mary Carr and Carolyn Knapp and then Sarah um, Heppola's um, Blackout. Mm-hmm. And read these these strong women writers who talked about their struggles with alcohol, and I really saw myself in all of them. But um, of course, did not want to admit that I might just have a problem. <laughs> but that's really where the seeds were planted. I could really see myself as I started reading um, these memoirs, um, you know, for many years, honestly. But I always thought, well, you know, of course that's not me. I don't have a problem. Um, you know, same old, same old. There's nothing unique about that. Um, but my story is one that it was a, you know, it's a progressive thing. Um, I had my first bottom in 2014. Um, and at the time I was a magazine editor for a big magazine here in the South. Um, very successful, um, working crazy hours, um, really kind of at the top of my game professionally, but sort of falling apart personally. Um, and even then, um, I, I, I mean, I was just really having a tough time again on the outside. It looked like everything was great. I was a travel editor. I was traveling the South, um, I had a beautiful family, um, but I was really, really struggling internally. So I had my first bottom again in the fall of 2014. Um, and it was quite public. Um, but I just responded in a way that, okay, I'm just going to work harder. Um, you know, I'm going to do everything, but stop the drinking. Maybe if I just work harder and if I just pray more and, um, exercise more. I can, I can, uh, I can, I can get out of this funk that I'm in, um, this deep anxiety, this deep depression, um, anything but give up alcohol. Right. Yeah. (laughs) About, um, about a year later, I had another bottom, um, in the fall of 15 and then it was getting, getting real. Um, you know, I came to the decision because I was not living authentically you know, I'm somebody, I've built my entire life around writing and telling the truth. And I wasn't living or telling my own truth. Right. Um, and the, the dichotomy between the life that I was showing both professionally and via social media and, you know, this hell that I was living, I just couldn't keep it up anymore. So at that time in the fall of 2015, um, I went into the rooms and said, I need help. Um, I was scared. I was broken. I was desperate. Um, you know, I, I felt like I was on the verge of losing everything. Um, the world might not have seen it, but I felt it. Um, but that was not enough. Um, I actually had a third bottom in um, in the spring of 2016, which is where I met the amazing um, Sandra. So, you know, in the course of all of this exploring and searching and reading books and starting to listen to podcasts like this, um, y'all haven't gotten started yet, but starting to listen to um, the home podcast, of course, with our dear friends, um, Holly and Laura. Um, it was really evident that this is where I needed to go, that alcohol was taking so much more than it was giving. Um, and that I was really living in many addictive patterns. I mean, not just alcohol, but also, you know, the perfectionism, the, the, the workaholism, um, you know, things are sort of a mess. So fast forward spring of 2016, I was at, um, in Austin, Texas at South by Southwest. Uh, which is a <laughs> notorious um, party scene. Um, and I had started to you know, work a program, trying to get sober, c- could not get it to stick. And uh, one morning I woke up in a hotel room and just thought, I'm going to die. 
um, I don't know what to do. And I posted in a you know, private Facebook group of, of sober women, um, and the amazing Sandra responded and said, do you have um, your running shoes? Um, if you do, I'll come meet you downstairs. And that was um, the last, um, that, was the, that was my first day being, being truly sober. Um, and Sandra walked me um, around Austin and gave me hope. And um, a smoothie. Said, you had a smoothie. And gave me a smoothie, an amazing smoothie. <laughs> and, you know, that's right. And said, I promise. And I was like, no, but you don't understand. I've done so many horrible things. And she was like, no, no, I, I understand. Um, and because I'd really at that point lost hope. I mean, truly depths of um, that, you know, there might not be a way to continue. Um, and she said, yes, there is. And we're going to do this together, one foot in front of the next. And, um, you know, it was, you know, such a um, act of grace and love and hope. Um, and, you know, because of that, because a woman, a stranger who did not know me um, in a Facebook group responded and said, hey, get your running shoes on. Um, you know, I, I, that's one of the reasons that I'm alive today. I mean, I'm, that I'm talking to you and that life has exploded in this amazing new way. I mean, has it been easy? I mean, hell no. Um, it's, it's been a, um, there's a whole lot of struggle in this story, but, um, I met with Sandra. We had a smoothie. She promised me, you know, just hang in, just hang in. And she said, you're not alone. Um, and, uh, you know, there was just, I keep saying there was grace that day. I got to a meeting, um, and uh, honestly, I never looked back. Mm. That's beautiful. Isn't that, I mean, the kindness of strangers is what I'm often grateful for. And that's just like, you just told the story of that, right? Yeah. The, and, someone extended a hand and just said like, I'm me too. And she did. yeah, there's just something about the fact where you feel like you are the biggest piece of shit and nobody else is bigger than you. And then you feel and then somebody takes your hand and says, "Oh no, I'm I'm just as big of a piece of shit." Or I used there's to think I was, yeah. Something yeah. about right, right. I mean, but there's just something, you know, because we're both, right? We're both. Yeah. I mean, right. That, that person is a part of us as well. Yeah. And you won't and regret I the past, <laughs> nor shut the door on it. So you know, it's um, you know, those are both parts of us and you know just to have somebody else to say yeah me too is me so too. redeeming it is and it's it's that's that's the i mean to, that's everything um and and it's 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 why we're here i think i mean if we want, if we want to skip to the big like yeah any questions it's like to me because i really did believe that these stories and Drinking kept me trapped in such a pattern of shame and guilt that I literally could not see reality. I could not see the blessings I had. I could not. I literally could not. I was just trapped in shame and guilt and fear. Um, and, you know, you, Sandra, um, and others believed in me when I literally could not believe in myself. Um, and that's what we do in recovery. And, and uh it's, um, you know, it's tough to describe to people who have not gone, gone through it. Um, but it is, um, you know, it's, it's, um, to me, it's, it's just this incredibly powerful experience. And, and I guess too, I love what you said about, you know, 
um, all of these things that I've lived are part of my experience and mm-hmm. what I've worked on these 16 months is integrating them. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know, I have, I, I've done some, some, um, crappy things in my life and I've done some good things in my life. Um, and they're all part of who I am. So, you know, getting back to what I referred to earlier, to me, recovery is integrating all of the parts, the light parts and the dark parts. I mean, this is, you know, my story is what it is. And I choose now not to, um, you know, not to stay in the story of who I was, um, but to honor her and then work on the story of who I am and who, where I'm going. In fact, I have a quote that I'm looking at in my office right now. I think it's from Ann Dowsett Johnson, but I apologize if it's if I'm if it's wrong. Um, that says you get to choose what parts of your story you keep. I've had that written down since the She Recovers mm-hmm. event. Um, and that's one thing I've really worked on both in my recovery and in my writing and my storytelling. To me, they're all interconnected. Um, so yeah, it, it's moving forward and writing a new story while still honoring every single piece. Um, that's gotten us to where we are today, right? For sure. Well, I just, I wanted to ask, cause I think it's important for our listeners too. Um, and I just recently lost a loved one who did not ask for help. I wanted to know what made you ask for help that day? What made you reach out to Sandra? To, cause that takes nerve. You know, you're kind of at your, your bottom, as you said, and like, what, how did you do that? Well, um, what a great question. Um, I think part of it is asking for help and asking for help in the right place. Hmm. Cause I actually had been, um, you know, well, of course there'd been all these, these, you know, quote unquote cries for help for years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and you know, folks saw me passing out and blacking out and, um, you know, I, I, that was not, but that honestly was not, it, it was this, I still couldn't say, Hey, I think I have a problem. Cause then I have to admit it. Right. Um, was there safety but, in asking a stranger? Yes. Cause I find that in, please. Yeah. I'm gonna let you elaborate, but yes, I, I is, was there safety in that? I think you hit the, 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 the head on the nail on the head. Um, because I'd been kind of trying to start feeling, feel around at one point, like, you know, I shared with a, a, a relative um, who's in recovery. But, yeah, I think there actually was something to the somewhat anonymity of going on this Facebook group, even though, our, you know, our names are there. But it is a secret private group and just saying, help, help. Because I will say that morning I also called a lot of people in, in, my, um, in my phone. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, those people had heard from me before, too. And, you know, one thing that kind of is, is another aha for me is, um, you know, is just because you ask for help doesn't mean that it's, you're going to always get the right help. So, you know, I think we're taught to say, oh my gosh, I, I have a problem. I need help. Well then who are the people that come to you? Who are the people that resource? I mean, I told loved ones, you know, um, and friends, but, um, you know, not everybody is equipped with what we in recovery are equipped with having been there. So, and again, all due respect because, you know, I have an incredible, incredible family, incredible friends support group. Um, you know, and I've hit a lot from them too. So they may not have known how bad it was, but you know, something about connecting with another woman who'd walk this path, 
mm-hmm. um, and who I could bear it all. But yes, without any repercussions, because Sandra wasn't going to judge me. She didn't have any skin in the game. She was just going to go, you know, and thank God she did. You know, there is help and this is what you can do. But that is something I come back to kind of again and again is like we tell people to ask for help. Um, but how do we plug them into folks who can really help get them on their path? Cause we're so, I mean, I can, well, I can only speak for myself. I mean, I was so foggy then. I mean, still the physical, physical impairment, early days of sobriety, but so foggy. So I kind of think right. the second part of the conversation we have to say is like, when we ask for help, you know, how, how do we properly resource people when they're asking for help? Right. Yeah. Well, and some of that, you just have to say, I guess that's where the miracle shows up. Yeah. 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 That on Facebook that morning or whatever, you know, or I had a a job that day or, you know, it just, that was just serendipity. Yeah. But you said yes. Or a miracle or whatever. Exactly. You said yes to it. So, you know, that's why. It was a two way thing. Yeah. 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 Never knowing. And I guess the other piece is like, you know, I, so many people show up for, I mean, you said yes, and there is a miracle. And I, I, I can't exactly tell you, you know, people say, well, how come that time was different in March of 16? How, what, what switch got flipped? And I don't know. And that's where I say grace. And I think the word miracle, I, I, I can't, um, I can't describe it, but there was this, um, cause I'd certainly been in these, these very hopeless states before, but there was a radical radical grace that day um, right right because you also could have said oh shit she's really coming never mind <laughs> i'm good yeah. yeah exactly like you know what well, i'm just gonna climb back up into the end of this bed and here's another i mean look i i spent many years um on the road and i i, I was um you know i was i was used to going oh oh crap um right another- another hangover, another thing I've got to take care of, um, and give into it. So I guess the key word here too is action, which we're, we're taught in the rooms too, you know, that, that, you know, we can surrender, but then we must take action. And I think the running shoot meeting you, like, it's actually kind of this beautiful, um, story of how like recovery in, in works because, you know, it's, it's, one person reaching their hand it's the other person accepting and then it's taking action in, in the walk if you will but then mm-hmm. continued action after that because that was sure you know, that was the start of this journey right right yeah that is all so true mm, i um, love that story thank you for sharing that with us that's a that's a yeah, big yeah yeah being there i mean it's um it's and it's so it's so um miraculous really how um yeah the whole thing is but then how it continues to unfold because yeah here we are today sitting um and talking about kind of you know all these these um vital topics about recovery and creativity and like how it's unfolded I mean I have a piece of Sandra's art not to go down or go down a hole but I'm staring at something that she made that says sober AF this beautiful cross stitch that's in my office and I just think (laughs) of all the other like lovely ways that who she is, who she is, has showed up um, in recovery again and again, and so I get reminded like all the time, like gosh, there are so many women who are here for us, um, right? And that show you how to do that for somebody else, you know? Yeah, like, I, I, that, I didn't make that up. Somebody showed me. Somebody did it for me. Yeah, and then I got to see, you know, how that worked. 
Yeah. yeah. That's how we do. I just, yeah. I just finished the 12th step and that's, I'm seeing it more and more and thinking about how that shows up in my life. And like from texting women, um, from I wake up and I text with a sober woman every single day, different women, but you know, like how you just keep like, that's the work, right? You keep just showing up. Keep showing up and in different ways. Yeah, in yeah. Different ways. Maybe it's as simple as a hashtag. You know that you're sharing your your story. I mean that. Mm-hmm. You know maybe it's, um, maybe it's sharing your story. I mean that's why I share. I mean, if you would have told me two years ago that I would be sharing honestly um, everything that I've been through, I would have said no way, <laughs> um, no way in hell would I be sharing that. But you know, like others, like y'all. I mean, I don't do this. I do this. You know, people say, oh, it's so brave. It's courageous. Like maybe at some point it was, um, you know, but now I have to and I want to. And if it can, again, kind of going back to those books that I read, you know, Mary Carr shared her story. Sarah Hepelis mm-hmm. shared her story. Um, I, I have to because that's part of my recovery. And I know there's another woman, um, you know, today who needs to hear the message that we're sharing. So, you know, I, I get kind of. Um, I, I don't want to get preachy about it, which I, I can go that way. But like, you know, we have to share our experience, strength and hope. It keeps us sober, but it helps that woman who's still suffering. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I wanted to ask, oh, is it okay, Sandra? I was going to, I was going to segue into, we have so many things we want to talk to you about. Mm-hmm. I don't want to keep you on the phone all day, but I just wanted to start, you know, you were talking about creativity and sobriety and that's kind of what our podcast is all about and how that kind of for us has fueled our recovery, you know, finding an outlet. And so there's a couple of things, but I wanted to start maybe back with just to ask you, were you a creative kid? Did this, did your writing and your interest in the arts, did that happen at an early age or was that developed later? Yeah. Um, all I've ever wanted to be is a writer. Mm. Um, you know, it's, it's, um, you know, from being a little girl, I just, um, was a avid reader and writer and, um, very quickly knew I wanted to be a reporter and go into journalism, which I did. Um, I also, um, I danced, I played musical instruments. Um, I, um, I wrote poetry, Um, you know, it's always the the creativity, the arts and particularly writing has always been the way that I've expressed myself and found a place in this world. Um, so it's, um, always been absolutely central to my life. And, you know, I mentioned I'm very close with my family. I was blessed to have parents who encouraged that. Um, and I'm from a very creative family. My, my brother actually was a Broadway performer. Hmm. Um, call ourselves the jazz hands family where um, <laughs> creativity and the arts are, are really vital to us. Um, so yeah, and it's really, it's kind of been the cornerstone of my life. I mean, it's what I've done professionally. It's what I do personally. So um, it's a big deal. And it certainly did um, suffer. Creativity certainly did suffer um, during my drinking years. Um, and I'm definitely in a rebirth now as I've woken back up to the life that I was, um, that I was made for, you know, as a little girl. Um, I still find the thrill that I found as a little girl writing my journal, walking into a library, um, telling stories. But one thing that's important is, um, you know, when I was a little girl and had all this creativity, I also had a lot of, um, had a lot of anxiety, um, and, and had a tough time coping. Um, so I've, but through recovery, been able to sort of take a look at, some of my patterns, even then, like I remember I would do competitive poetry, 
um, reading. So I started doing competitive poetry slams, which are like really big in the nineties. Like that's how mm-hmm. old I'm. Oh yeah. I, remember those. <laughs> I would like read at these poetry slams, um, around Tampa, Florida, where I grew up and, and, uh, I did, did pretty well. Actually, this is this is really funny. Like, all you mid-90s kids will get this. Like, I got asked to tour with, like, Lollapalooza reading my poetry. I was kind of like... Awesome. <laughs> I love it. I said, no. Mom oh. and dad hear this. Thank you for saving me. Um, <laughs> but, um, but, you know, when I think about I, I think about it, like, I would do these performances and, and um, you know, get all this audience applause, which I loved, um, but also have incredible anxiety I remember my parents would catch me, you know, smoking because at the time I just and and I'd say, I just didn't do good. I didn't do. I mean, that's part of my central theme is this good enough, being good Mm. enough. And uh, and that's what I've been able to work on in in recovery. But remember, they would come and say, you did amazing. Like you just, you know, you just you just perform this thing. How and, and but it came with all of this, this, this I physically couldn't cope with um, too self critical or extremely self-aware, self-critical. And that was a pattern that, you know, continued into my twenties. And when I became a newspaper reporter, high stress, high adrenaline, um, again, telling real stories, but I was incredibly, um, critical of myself and of sort of, you know, of my work, my work had to be perfect. Everything had to be perfect. Um, you know, and that was a story that it served me well professionally because I was able to, you know, progress and continue. But personally, um, you know, it became very, very detrimental, um, you know, because I started the anxiety really, really flared its ugly head, you know, as I got into my twenties and thirties and, you know, guess what I turned to, right. So, um, you know, turning to, okay, I have all this, this energy and all of this anxiety and all this need to, you know, to, to, um, just, I guess it's sort of X, yeah, this excess, all this stuff in my head. And, you know, I think in my twenties and thirties, instead of turning, I certainly still journaled, but I think I, I kind of turned a little bit away from that creative expression. Cause I was also sort of performing for work. I put all of my creativity into my work. Mm-hmm. And when I got home, it was like, you know, I didn't have a whole lot more to give. So, um, that's a long answer to the question about sort of where where creativity has um, has played in my life. But, you know, the blessing now is that I'm able to reconnect to that. And, and also really just I've done a lot of work about lowering expectations of myself. Like I'm good enough. I'm worthy. I've, I've been blessed to have an awesome career. But, you know, that's not what it's um, it's not what it's all about. <laughs> um, right. You know, and and. You know, and I work, and again, this is a side note, but it's important to mention, I mean, I've worked in the media for 20 years, which has been disrupted dramatically. And part of my recovery is being able to write true stories and not um, have to, you know, be obsessed about how many page views, how many clicks, how many, um, you know, my my worth isn't judged on how well my headline, how many, you know, followers I get, right? So that's kind of a whole other thing, but I should mention that like kind of where, where creativity in 2017 is. Um, not just for me, but for everybody is like, I think kind of, um, creating, um, you know, for ourselves, um, not just for likes and clicks and seeking outside validation. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. That's a huge part of my story. So in some ways I go back to being that little girl writing in her journal, playing the saxophone, being kind of this weird, you know, weird little kid, um, writing poetry and uh it's quite freeing to go back to that space and just go you know what I was I was kind of okay all along yeah you can see yourself a little differently a lot differently yeah 
you, you, you have, um, you have an 11 year old son. I do. Right. And his name is Nate, correct? He is awesome. Yeah. And he, I was reading, um, in your bio about that. He's your intern, um, at what to eat in Birmingham, which I totally love. And I wanted to ask you, since you were just sharing about what type of a kid you were, you know, how has your sobriety changed your relationship with your son? And and is he creative? It sounds like he is, but you know, could you tell me a little bit more about that relationship? Yeah. So, um, my, my sobriety, um, and recovery have changed my relationship with my son, um, a ton. Um, I should say I'm, I'm married to, I mentioned a professor, um, a chemistry professor, um, and uh, we're kind of total opposites, not kind of, um, you know, I'm, I'm <laughs> the writer and the creative married to the analytical scientist and that works. But my son, my son is a lot like me. Um, and he's very creative, loves photography, loves writing. Um, and I'm not just saying this cause I'm his mom and biased, though I am biased, but he's, he's a great writer. Um, so um, you know, first of all, I am forthcoming about my recovery with my son. That's very, very important. Um, I, um, really put a lot of thought into having those discussions with him. Um, and I actually had the first big one, uh, about six months ago, I took him to a walk here in Birmingham called end heroin walk. Um, and as we chatted with folks, you know, it was an, an opening to have a conversation with him about, what recovery is and do you know mom's in recovery and what that means? And, um, and I actually shared, I mean, the words were just kind of put on my heart. I said, you know, when I was your age, um, you know, even though, you know, I had this wonderful, wonderful upbringing, um, I didn't know how to deal with some feelings. Um, and we'd actually, it's interesting the night before gone to see 21 pilots, which is his favorite band. It was his first concert. And, you know, they do such an amazing job. Um, and I really respect them because they, they really sing about and perform about, you know, using music, using creativity to talk about some of our deepest, darkest fears. So I kind of had this great entree and I said, you know how 21 pilots uses their music to express kind of the full spectrum of emotions. Well, that's an awesome thing to do. Mm-hmm. And I want to encourage you to use your creativity, whether it's photography, whether that's writing, whether that's making games. I mean, he's a, he's a gamer. It's like, let's use this, um, you know, as you continue to grow and experience the world. And I kind of got the mom, I don't want to lecture, you know, like I get mm-hmm. the, you know, like teachable moment. Oh gosh, mom, does everything have to be a lecture? But, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it's, um, it's, um, it's important, right? Cause you know, as, as moms, I mean, as parents, uh, you know, it's, it's, we want our kids to, um, uh, avoid having to go through some of the things, same things we have. And of course we can't, you know, can't, you know, everybody has to walk their own walk, but, um, you know, I want him to know that these gifts inside of him are a powerful way to work with, to work in finding your space in the world. Um, and regardless of what the external world tells you, you know, um, you know, to really preserve these gifts and keep making and keep creating because, um, you know, that's going to be there for you no matter what, no matter where the trends go, no matter what job you have, no matter where you live, you know, these creative gifts in us are with us, um, forever. Um, you know, and if, if we nurture them and stay connected. Right. That's the biggest, that's the, that's the key. And he's lucky to have a mom that's nurturing his. Yeah. And I guess being present too. I mean, that's the other, that's the other piece of this. I mean, I, I, um, he was nine when I started this journey. Um, and I'm so freaking grateful to be here. 
um, to be present, to be, he's entering middle school, um, huge formative time. And I'm here for the first time. Um, I left my job at a creative agency in May. Um, and it's amazing. I'm like in, in my home for the first time in my skin with my family. And, uh, so I'm, I'm really, really thankful um, to, to be here and to be a sober mom, um, you know, because that's, that's kind of new for me. Um, and that's a really big deal. And I fought pretty hard to get here. Um, I've been trying to interject this question for a little bit, but, um, so first of all, I just, uh, I wanted to mention that I also played saxophone. (laughs) (laughs) I see the connection now. On our road trip to Aaron's house, we can have a little, little, you guys can have like a little um, session together. Yeah. Like get a van and travel. (laughs) But no, I I wanted to ask, going back to the, and I'm assuming that you have picked up your travel writing again. Yeah. 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 So that's the part that I would, I find so interesting because I imagine that you know, there's a there was a certain sophistication associated with being a traveling writer, where part of it is getting to know the culture of the city that you're in, which means you're eating at restaurants, which means that, you know, part of that quote unquote fabulousness is to, you know, drink their wine and really immerse yourself in that way. And yeah. There's like a certain romanticism that I conjure up in my head with that whole image. How do you how do you reconcile that now? Yeah, that's a really great question. A big part of my story. Um, that is where I developed um, the worst part of um, this um, addiction was on the road. Um, and I consider myself um, as somebody who who um, propagated that narrative. Because that's what I did. I traveled um, almost all the time. Long days, 16-hour days were, um, you know, were the norm. And I would go from morning, noon, night, um, exploring a city and eating amazing food and meeting great people. And gosh, there was, there is such joy in that. Um, I mean, it's kind of this, you know, everybody would say, oh, it's a, it's a dream job. I mean, when people find out what I do, they always say, oh, I've always wanted to do that. Or, it must be nice. So people pay you to go, like... You know, it, there is a lot of, of fantasy around it, and it is like a really it's a it's a really great thing to be able to do. I mean, that's why everyone wants to do it. Right. Um, but it's also very um, it's very challenging. Um, one, I mean, even to get to that, that doesn't happen like over overnight. Um, so, but two, you know, it's 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 challenging to reconcile it sometimes because that's part of our travel sort of cultural narrative and even when you visit towns you know convention and visitors bureaus or people hosting you you know it's okay we've arranged wine tours we've arranged bourbon tasting right right it's this um it's this norm um mm-hmm. so what i have learned to do um so yes it's certainly where my drinking became problematic because i mean it's not hard to do this equation i mean long yeah. bits travel is extraordinarily hard on the body i should also mention um, that I have um, struggled my whole life with, um, I have a condition called dysautonomia, which is a dysregulation of the autonomic system. So um, I have some um, fatigue issues. I have since since childhood. Um, 
and uh, I get tired really easily and I have to do a lot of things to take care of my body, um, which it's sort of funny that <laughs> I have this. I'm sure alcohol was not at all part of taking care of your body. Yeah. I mean, and I'll, I'll just tell you right now, and this is, it's, so when I was a child, this little saxophone playing girl, um, I started passing out. Um, and uh, that's part of what this condition does. You, you, you unfortunately pass out when it's too hot or too much movement. Um, and it took me many, many years for a diagnosis. So it's, it's sort of weird that I have this condition where I pass out. And then what did I do? Drink mm-hmm. alcohol, yeah. which caused me to pass out even more. It's, it's, um, and I actually didn't even share about that for many, many years because I was so embarrassed, right? Mm-hmm. So here, which it's nothing. I have a physiological condition, and I also happen to have this this brain condition too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the, the alcohol thing. But anyhow, back to the travel. Um, I pushed myself in a way um, because I, I loved what I did. There was great joy. It was everything I'd always wanted to do, but it came at such a high cost to my body. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'd come in on Friday nights and just be wrecked when I'd get home off the plane. I was not, you know, physically well, mentally well, spiritually, emotionally. So, you know, and that was, um, so then I, I had the great, uh, fortune. God's, God's really funny. Um, I switched gears and I spent two years at an advertising agency, which I always joke. I'm the only person that got sober at a, (laughs) which that went into advertising to get sober, which isn't true. There's lots of sober folks in advertising, but, um, (laughs) You know, I, I, I went off the road for a couple of years and, um, and, and got sober and, um, and now I'm back. So, um, you know, long answer, but now what I do when I travel and I do, um, I'm back to travel writing. Um, that's part of what I do professionally. Um, you know, I have a wonderful toolkit, um, when I go with me, I also do tell people, Hey, you know, people arrange a group arranges, you know, a wine pairing, you know, I don't drink. Um, I think more people kind of know my story, but, um, you know, I, I have to really, really be careful that I'm, uh, I mean, I'll go to meetings in other towns that I get rest, that I'm hydrating, that I'm calling upon the sober network on a side note, I'm getting ready to go to Italy for two weeks for my brother's wedding. Um, and it's in one country, it's at a, it's at a, (laughs) it's at a vineyard. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's going to be, um, you know, that's going to be a really interesting experience, um, in sobriety, um, as a traveler, but it's something I'm really, really passionate now is, is talking about how we can travel, um, in, in recovery. And I should also know that there are some major things that are happening, you know, as more people in this industry who work in travel and food and beverage are starting to share their story. So a couple weeks ago, the chef, Sean Brock, um, who's a Beard Award winning chef in Charleston, um, Charleston and Nashville, very well known, really kind of the one of the faces of modern Southern food. He shared his story with The New York Times that he's in recovery. Um, yeah. so, you know, we're starting to have more conversations in this yep. space about, you know, we can't just we can't just run nonstop and eat nonstop and drink nonstop. <laughs> uh, I mean, we can but you know, eventually for it's going to catch up. Yeah. It's gonna, yeah. For some of us. And again, I need to be careful. For some of us, right. For some of us, it's not, this is just my story. I, sure, I, can, sure. I can't run like that, but for some people, they can do the 16 hour days. They can still drink. They can still, I just can't. And I know my limits now. Mm-hmm. I just think that that's so, I just love that you, that you're doing that. And you're from the South, which has its own, you know, sort of romantic drinking culture associated to it. 
Yeah, it's interesting you bring that up because it's become clear to me that's, that that is part of my work and mission now. Um, as there's so much cool stuff that's happening in regards to how we're reframing, um, you know, recovery and our relationships with alcohol around the country. But um, the South does have some um, very interesting cultural um, things associated. I mean, there's there are you know, we're, I'm in the Bible Belt. I'm in the heart of the Bible Belt. So. Um, you know, there's a, um, there are attitudes, the guilt and shame piece is, is, um, there are a lot of folks who, um, won't drink publicly, but drinking in private because of that. Right, their closet. I've seen that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's the, you know, we talk, we talk briefly about the football culture. I mean, come fall, it's, um, it's just, um, it's standard, um, you know, that, 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 that one is going to be at tailgating parties. Um, you know, drinking for, you know, six to eight hours. And again, not to generalize, not everybody does that, but it's very, if you don't do it, um, it's, um, my perception is that you're the other. And that's part of what I see myself kind of bringing to light now, um, is, is sort of some of these cultural pieces, um, not unique to this region, but, um, that certainly have, um, some, there, there's some additional pieces here in the South. Um, and, and also, I mean, we also have, I mean, just from a public health perspective, um, not to get too deep into this, but you know, the, the South obviously has a lot of challenges, um, from public health perspectives. I mean, I, I do live in the middle of Alabama, Birmingham's a little bit, you know, I'm, I'm in a city, um, have access to great healthcare, but you know, when you start thinking about some of the pieces of rural, the rural South and mm-hmm. who are struggling with alcohol and drugs, not to mention the, you know, there, we have this massive opioid crisis that's happening right. as a other subject. But I, I guess, you know, where I sit now is like, is just, I'm really passionate about encouraging people to have conversations um, about their um, relationship to um, you know, what they put in and, and how they can also create events and spaces where people who don't choose to put in alcohol or other substances can feel comfortable. Right. I think there's just something so important about questioning your old, you know, like talking about it, I think promotes, um, questions around old stories, like, you know, everyone that tailgates, uh, an Alabama football game drinks for eight hours. Well, why is that? Do we have to do that? Can we change this story up a bit? You know, and, and I think, um, you know, just sharing our story and talking about it, questioning these cultural norms, um, is the thing that encourages people to question their own behavior. You're right. Why, you know, why do I drink for eight hours at a tailgating party? It's never fun. I never remember the end of the game. Um, you know, I'm recovering for three days after I miss work, you know? Yeah. And I think, you know, there's so much, and I write about this a lot, you know, that, you know, even if you don't have a quote unquote problem, right. You know, just that thought of like, why? Because I remember years ago, I was starting to have those thoughts in my head. Why am I having to, or, or not having to, why am I choosing to unwind, at, uh, you know, at the end of the day with this glass of wine or mm-hmm. spending all this time making sure we have the, you know, the perfect drinks for this dinner party or making sure we're, you know, everything is perfectly, you know, stocked for whatever that event is, like how much time and energy and, 
you know, that's what, one interesting thing that's happened now is as, as I've shared my story, um, you know, I think first of all, it's just very easy for people to go to, uh, well, that's not me. That's not me. I'm not an alcoholic. I don't have a problem. Um, okay. You know, I get that. Um, but I, I, I also say that this is not a, um, this is not a them problem. This is an us problem, right? How, you know, and how, how we are all connected. But, you know, getting back specifically, one thing that's happened is I've been more, more, because, yeah, I had these questions in my 20s, but I didn't see other women, I mean, other than, that's why I went to these books. Um, Mm -hmm. I didn't see a lot of conversation. We did not have, I mean, I thought of, you know, and I had no idea what to think about the rooms of recovery, church basements, people drinking coffee, and, you know, and I also have found grace. I am a 12-stepper, but I didn't see. So that's what's so cool now with, you know, what y'all are doing, what, you know, what, what, um, you know, Holly Whitaker is doing, what so many women just saying, Hey, there's, there's this other, there's this other discourse that's happening. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's cool. So that's, what's like super exciting in 2017 is like that people can just access this. So yeah, I have girlfriends who call me and go, you know, Aaron, I just, since you've been telling your story, I've been kind of thinking about, you know, why I really need to, why I'm going to that drink at the pool mm-hmm. or like why like I don't I don't think I'm addicted but I'm kind of thinking like what's underneath that you know that's so for me Aaron like exactly what you're talking about is that I think the concept is like I'm now living an examined life I never examined anything when I was drinking so the elaborate dinner parties, the menus I was planning, the drinks that had to accompany every course, and I'd type up these things or handwrite these beautiful menus. I'd spend all day at the bottle barn, as we call it, and go, you know, I used to own a wine bar um, on the Sonoma Coast. I thought it was so glamorous. I never examined why I was doing all of that. It did not occur to me until I stopped drinking. Like, so I think in recovery, we start examining all these things and kind of, we go back, right. We have to go find out why, why was I like that? Why did I, why did I feel the need? Um, but I feel like a lot of people don't stop and examine that. It's just part of our culture. Um, and until people are talking about this, like Holly from hip sobriety and Laura McCowan, when I found those two, it just ignited me. And And then I found more women and it just keeps blooming. Yeah. But examining my life was not a top priority for me when I was drinking. Not at all. Yeah, um, you're right. And um, and I should say to you, just as I've mentioned, Sandra being so vital, I mean, Holly specifically, when I had a bottom um, in 2015, about six months um, before I, I, I quit, um, she, she was there for me and I could reach out and she showed me an example of an examined life, mm. which again, getting back to, you know, it's the curiosity that I felt as a child, as an adolescent, this hunger for living an examined life, alcohol came into it, you know, in my early twenties, um, and for me, and I thought it was part of living an examined life, but it really blocked. It just sets, blocked yeah, it just, yeah. Just, just puts a fog over all of it. Yeah. Um, and now, yeah, it puts such a fog. And, you know, I look at, it's funny, I'm sitting here in my office, I'm looking at these stacks of journals, stacks and stacks of journals since being a little girl. And it's like, I look back in these pages and I just see this, you know, the struggles that, you know, why is this happening? And da, 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 like just life. 
and um, you know it, there was this fog, um, but we're taught that you know we quote unquote like you know we're taught about that it's glamour that it's I mean just like you know I've heard I've heard you know you mentioned the you know the wine bar I mean I had you know a beautiful bar beautiful bar carts I mean and again not only did I have that in my home but I kind of I kind of spread that narrative as a member of the media too, mm-hmm. and again I have to be real careful because I'm not. Uh, I'm not saying, okay, let's eliminate every image of a glass from a magazine or from an Instagram feed. Um, but I think just doing it a little bit more critically is is important. Because um, I'll tell you, I look at the, you know, when Facebook pops up those memories, I look at that girl, you know, whether she was on a shoot or hosting a dinner party and holding that beautiful glass and, you know, and her eyes look um, empty, mm. empty. Yeah. You know, empty and it's like vacant. Um, and I think, wow, what a le- what an what an illusion I worked so hard to put on. So now it's like, yeah, I'll, you know, some people can drink, I can't. But let's have an examined life. Um, you know, and alcohol is, is just, or, or it's just the tip of the iceberg. So you know, for me, you know, this is not just about drinking. Is but when that mm-hmm. is, then I can truly dig deeper into this examined life that I was meant to live. Well, I hope you're writing a book, Erin. I am. (laughs) (laughs) Well, can you tell us a little bit? I was just thinking about like where your creativity and your recovery intersect. And I know you're a writer. So yeah, that's, and you mentioned Mary Carr and Sarah Heppala and Carolyn Knapp, who all the books I loved. So is that on the horizon for you? So it is, you know, my, my dream, um, really my life dream, my life's dream has been to write a book. Um, and Lord knows I've been talking about it for long enough and people say, Oh, you gotta write a book. Um, but you know, it has really not been until now that I can, I had right. to get this point in my recovery. Mm-hmm. I had to get things right personally. Um, you know, Mary Carr, I, I can't say enough about also a Southerner. What's up? Oh yeah. I know. <laughs> and she's Catholic, which I do. And I found out she likes Pilates yesterday. And I'm like, Mary Carr, we're, we basically can be best friends. Like, I know. I tried to I tried to be her best friend at a book signing. <laughs> well, maybe she'll hear this and be like, "Wow, those are cool chips." Um, <laughs> they're right with us in our big van tour with our saxophones. Um, you know, I really struggled the past couple of years because I so desperately wanted to tell the story, but I could not until I got it right and until I got myself right, and also. Mm-hmm. Um, got personally right with the people around us. So, you know, part of that thing, I mean, I'd struggle with why can't I, um, you know, I have a lot of friends who are published authors and have said, okay, you know, it's, it's, um, it's time, it's past time. And I feel that in my soul, but, um, you know, there are things I've had to do. There's amends I've had to make. I just made a really, really big one. Cause how could I tell the story, um, of who I was? unless I reconciled it to me and to the people um, who closest to me and those in my sphere. Um, right. People, um, I heard a lot of people, I was careless. Um, and, um, and again, I'm not that girl. I'm working every single day. Recovery is my cornerstone now. Um, and, uh, but I, I couldn't do it. So, um, but yeah, the, yeah, the, the I'm, I'm, um, I finally can work on this memoir. Um, in which I talk about, you know, many of the things that we, sh- we share, we, I've shared with you, which is, you know, the story of a person who, this magazine editor who, um, look, kind of looked like she had it all, 
uh, but there was something underneath, um, underneath the surface. And, you know, I call it, you know, not this isn't the title, but I talk about life unedited and what it takes to truly be into this life where, you know, where we're living truthfully, authentically and real. Um, and it's my story of, of, you know, shedding all of the illusions um, that I, I made and, and living in my truth and kind of walking away from this quote unquote glamorous life. Um, but walking into the life I was made for. Mm. I love that. I hope you'll have your gold shoes on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tell, I, I need to know about, I need to know about these gold shoes. Cause I, I, I might be stealing that. Cause I, and yeah. Yeah. I know, I know you love vintage and you love gold shoes and I just knew we'd be friends, Aaron. Yeah. yeah you gotta <laughs> flick through, uh, Aaron's Instagram feed and. <laughs> She's often posting photos of gold, gold shoes. Yeah, so gold shoes came about. Um, my best friend is a woman named Stephanie who lives in Atlanta and is amazing. And one, one time we were in Vegas. We used to go to Vegas like every year. We, we've kind of um, we're changing it up now, and we, we pick other cities. Like we went to Portland last year. But um, one night we were getting ready to go out, and she said, "Okay, well, are you going to put on some gold shoes?" I was like, "I don't have gold shoes," and she was like, "Girl." You need, so you need. <laughs> and she, we went to the outlet out there, which is fabulous. And she helped me find a pair of gold shoes. And I mean, it was like the, the Ruby slipper, like, gosh, gold shoes go with everything. So, um, so yeah, so I, and for, for, um, so yeah, so I wear a ton of gold shoes. I collect a ton of vintage. Um, and, but for me also, I'm like, gold is this, um, it's kind of about, you know, first it looks fabulous, but it's about stepping into, you know, my own like gold is this like over the top shiny power color you mm -hmm. know and you know I used embracing to it. embracing it and I used to I mean I really did struggle with it and you know they used to my blog used to have this like this image I had this graphic visual identity of me you know I may have been holding a wine glass gold but it was like this cartoon me in gold shoes <laughs> I love it <laughs> So now I've, you know, I've sort of kept the gold shoe blog, but it means it's taken on another meaning because it's not this like, look at this fabulous life, this, you know, girl on the go, she can do it all. It's, it's more of, you know, it's more about like, um, life is so incredibly short, like wear shiny shoes and live it fully and, and, and wear gold shoes like boldly and stepping. It's, it's kind of about like stepping into one's power. So anybody can wear gold shoes and I would highly recommend that you, um, if you don't have a pair, get one or like 50 pair because they do go with <laughs> Yeah, I have two. I have two pairs of gold shoes, but I think I need to up my game in this department. Yeah, you do. Yeah. I love gold. I've been using gold on my ray of light pieces, and and uh, I love that. I think I might have to um, ask you to be one of my ray of lights. Oh, no putting you on the spot or anything. <laughs> I'd be honored. I'd love that. That would be awesome. Well, yeah. you're right. Gold. I used to spray paint everything gold. Pine cones for tablescapes, um, rocks, um, wreaths, uh, gold and silver around the holidays. I was at pots. And um, it was just like, it gives it that shine, right? And it could be looked at it one way, like you're just, you're masking something. But I, and I choose to look at it now, especially when I use it now in art. Um as it's just like, it's this beautiful, been around forever, you know, shiny, I don't know. I just love it. It's a great touchstone. Yeah. Well, and the fact that it's reflective too, it's almost like mm. the beauty in me sees the beauty in you. I love that. Yeah. 
Yeah. Thank you, because it's like caught on so much. I mean, it's so big. I mean, it's it's very on trend. (laughs) The lifestyle editor and me, like, no matter what, I always go back to like five ways to decorate with gold, because like that's how. I love it. A pair of gold lamps that my best friend gave me that she spray paint because I'm a big spray painter too. But it's like very on trend, and um, I kind of love it. Like I kind of think it's never going to go out of style because it is such a it is such a classic. I used to always wear silver and only wear silver, and I have a platinum wedding ring. But um, I would say since I've been sober, I've been drawn to gold and gold necklaces and gold bags. But I don't have a gold pair of shoes, so I'm going to put this on my. Uh, thrifting to-do list and, and I might even buy it new because you know what why not right. <laughs> why, why not then it might be more reflective that's right that's right I love it um, so we're approaching an hour is there any like burning desire that you want to share Erin or Sandra do you have more questions no no, no? I am anxious to hear about Erin's um, unruffled her three items in her unruffled toolbox unless you have something else you want to add Erin yeah, I mean, I guess first of all, just thank you for letting me um, letting me share my story. I truly appreciate it, and um, you know, and I really do want. If there's one thing, I want listeners to know um, that there is hope. There's not one way to recover. Life is so beautiful out there, and you know, it's a message I try to share every single day, like um, because it's it's so great, and there's not one way to do this recovery. Um, I, I believe we're all recovering from something and, you know, I'd be remiss if I just didn't say like, um, you know, that, I mean, I've been so, so blessed because of recovery, um, and can't wait to see where it goes next. But, um, you know, my heart is always with the person who's still suffering, um, and questioning and just, you know, so that's one thing I just always want to share is that, um, that there really is, there's so much hope and, um, yeah, I just always want to offer that encouragement to women and to men. Um, who might be in that place that I was that day that I met our, our friend Sandra. So I just want to say that. Um, so, um, and, oh, go on, I'm sorry. No, I just, we're, and, and you're, you're writing, I'm sorry to backpedal here, but just you, you write about recovery um, a lot right now. And so where can people find that if they're listening and they want to go find writing by you and check out what you're doing? Yeah, um, they can follow me. My, my um, personal site is just AaronShawStreet.com, just like it sounds. Um, and you can find me on Instagram and Twitter there as well. Um, I do write for other publications and I generally, um, link via, um, via, I always link, um, to stuff on my site. So that's probably the easiest way to see where I'm writing and what I'm writing about. Um, and there's a lot of stuff that's coming both about recovery and about travel and recovery and about, um, the South and, um, recovery. So stay tuned. Oh, I like that. We'll link to that in the show notes too. So yeah. Yeah. So like, like Sandra said, we're at this stage where we do our little unruffled toolbox and you were going to share three items with us and our listeners of what helps you kind of stay unruffled. And that could be creatively, that could be in terms of your sobriety. Yeah. We'll let you, we'll let you share. And it was really, really tough because my my toolbox um, runneth over. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that great? Um, it is great. Um, in fact, a friend of mine named Karen made this beautiful painting for me. I need to send it to y'all. In which she she um, did this lovely illustration um, of of tools because I was just telling her about all the things that helped get me through the first year, and she did a painting which was so so sweet. So um, you know, it's there's a lot, but here here are three. Okay, so 
my first one is something that I mentioned um, earlier, which is Pilates. Um, you know, I, um, I because I, I, it's taken me many, many years, like 40 to be specific, <laughs> to, find, <laughs> um, to find a physical activity that I could do. Um, because of some of my physical challenges that I mentioned. Um, and also because I used to be hungover all the time. <laughs> um, not funny, but true. Um, so the activity that's really helped me connect with mind, body and spirit is Pilates. Um, and it's, it's um, been such a blessing. I came to Pilates last year um, when I was rehabilitating from a car accident um, and started doing one-on-ones with an amazing teacher here in Birmingham named um, Andrea Bridges. And um, she has just taught me tremendously about um, slowing down and connecting with my body and moving it in a way that I feel really comfortable. So um, I will say, I mean, yoga comes up a lot in the recovery space and I love yoga, but Pilates has really just become a vital part. I, I do um, a, a one-on-one with her every week. And I would also really recommend if, um, if folks want to check it out to find a reputable teacher um, who can really help them, um, you know, understand how it works. Like there's tons of group classes and, um, you know, it is a, um, it's a bit of a commitment to, to link up with a teacher, but it's helped me enormously really learn how to move my body and then apply those, those moves in, um, you know, in group classes and in other, other settings. So um, I love it. I love Pilates. So that's number one. Okay. I love that. Number two, um, I recently visited my brother in LA and had the um, pleasure of going to a meditation class at a place called The Den, which is incredible. And if anybody um, is in LA or visiting, check it out. It's a beautiful meditation space. Um, and my brother knew that I was really um, doing some more time with prayer and meditation and wanted to go a little deeper. So he arranged for us to go to a class, and but didn't know who the teacher was, just picked one. And it was an incredible class with a gentleman named, and I apologize if I if I don't pronounce his name correctly. Um, it's Chandres Bardwash, um, and he is um, like a seventh generational uh, generation spiritual teacher um, who I believe left corporate life to teach meditation. Um, and he does these amazing guided meditations. And this this particular one got me to a place that I've I've, I've never been able to access. Um, in my per, in my private meditation pra- practice, but he has an app um, that has a bunch of downloads for free. It's called Break the Norms Meditation App, so that's available to download and has been just a really really neat resource. I also I'm gonna add another one in there just about the meditation apps. I also um, I also got to take a class with Noah Levine of Refuge Recovery um, out there and highly encourage his meditations on YouTube as well. So great resources. Oh, good. Thank you. And uh, yeah, amazing. The Refuge stuff is great. A Buddhist um, approach um, to recovery and getting to learn from um, Noah was just, um, wow, amazing. Um, I'm working on bringing some of this stuff, although we do have refuge in Birmingham, but, um, this is kind of part of my passion of bringing some of these resources and and broadening them here in the South. Um, the third last, but certainly not least, um, is the Bible, um, which is, um, a cornerstone uh, of my life and in my recovery. And I, I recently saw, um, Rob Bell here in Birmingham. He was doing a Bible Belt tour and, he has a great um, new book out, um, What is the Bible? Um, and he really, he has this message that in the Bible there is 
the Bible is a collection of stories and poems and writings that are so radical and disruptive and really contain world changing grace. Um, and it's always where I go back to for teachings and for hope um, and being immersed in that and taking a new look at it at this point in my life and in this point in my recovery away from away from. Uh, you know, earlier readings that I've done. Religious trappings of your that, youth. Um, you know, ultimately for me, it's, um, it, you know, that that it reminds me of this new creation that I am, you know, and, and of like just the radical, radical grace. Um, and, you know, and that gets back to, you know, kind of what we started with and what was extended to me. Um, the day that Sandra reached her hand out is like, that's the foundation for me is, and it comes from there. It's this, um, you know, just this, just this radical, um, radical grace. And I guess to close, like I have this, um, have all these things in my office quotes and, you know, and, and one of them is, is, um, that, um, it's from the Bible and says, um, you're the God of more, more than enough. And that really resonates for me because, you know, I have that in my life. I've always struggled with being enough and um, I need to be reminded all the time that, you know, I serve a God who, who um, is more than enough and that I'm more than enough. Um, so not to get too preachy, but I have to say like this, this radical, disruptive, powerful, life-changing grace, it, it, it came in my, it came through a very hard fight a fight in which I, I, I nearly lost my life. Um, but now that that light has come on, um, I get really fired up to share, um, that, that, that there's hope for everyone. I'm so glad you reached out and thank you so much for sharing your story with us or just, I know it's just part of your story, but really grateful. I mean, I really appreciate what you are doing in this space. I'm super excited for you to be arriving to my home in the van for our bus tour. Um, I can't, I can't wait, wait for Mary Carr to join us. I can't I'm wait for Mary Carr to be our best new friend. <laughs> um, you know, and I also really want to go thrifting with you guys. And we didn't even like, like, I really want to <sighs> yeah. hands and like, just have like a crazy thrifting art making like throwdown. So right. check your calendars. Let me know. <laughs> We are doing this. We're totally doing this. And Sandra, yeah. There's some epic thrifting in Birmingham. The only time since I've been there, I don't think I've ever thrifted there. And I'm, I'm like salivating right now. Not yet. Not yet. But you know what? Soon. Soon. And Sandra, do you need our, do you need us to do a fitting or something for you? So you can have like an awesome dresses and we're like walking down the street, like Charlie's angels a little bit and need a wind machine. I see it. I can see it all happening. All of us in our gold shoes. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. This is the day. Write it down. It's <laughs> oh, it's already, it's already on my list, Aaron. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Thank y'all so much for, for what you're doing and for having me. I truly appreciate it. Uh, thanks, Aaron. Thanks, Aaron. Bye. Bye-bye. The Unruffled Podcast was created and produced by Sandra Primo and Tammy Salas. Our show is edited and mixed by Steve Hecht. Original music composed and performed by NMMD. Original artwork created by Tammy with the help of graphic designer Chris Aguirre. Thanks for listening.
for listening.